Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, members got to ask the host. We invited you to send us your questions about Recon, our events, and the fetish scene in general. Some of the question topics are funny, some are serious issues in the community. At the end of the day, it's all about community and what we are doing to keep it not just surviving, but thriving. Please enjoy the episode. So I want to say thank you to everyone for uh, tuning in to listen to this podcast. Um, and just so you know, this is actually the final episode of series two. Yes, this is our 24th episode of the Recon podcast. Uh, and on that, I'm absolutely chuffed to sneak in that we've just reached our 100,000th listen to the Recon podcast. So I'd like to say again, a massive thank you to everyone who's logged in and listened to us. But I would be remiss if I didn't give a special thanks to our season two guests, including Regulation Limited, who was our podcast sponsor. Podcast two was with Leather Edge and Sadistic Master for Slaves about a Recon love story. We had Leather Oscar talking about Instagram famous Lemon Meringue Pie on Fetish Meets Queer, Viking London, talking about real Claire fetish. Race Bannon, many of you know who contribute articles to us, talking about the man behind the articles. Mongrel87 and Indy, talking about kink shaming. Dogboy Bailey, all the way from Paris, talking about kink and politics. Leader of the pack and leader's boy on fetish relationships. And Stefan Dickers from the Bishopsgate Institute, Pride in Fetish History. And our most recent episode was with the incredible Silva Nives, talking about kink and sex addiction. So we know there's been quite a range of topics uh, throughout this season. If you've missed any of them or anything that sounds interesting, please do go back and listen, because some are really quite juicy. Some are really quite fun. Some are serious and uh, quite informative. And you never know what you might pick up. And while we or rather while I take a vocal rest for the month of uh, October, we'll resume in November with series three. You'll have a good uh, six to, you know, six weeks plus to go back and listen to some of your favorite episodes. And hopefully that'll warm you up and get you ready for when series three begins. So as usual, I start on with a ramble, which is good. Um, it's actually interesting talking about Ask the Host. It's one thing that somebody asked me in another previous question, like, why do you talk so much? Uh, I can sometimes be a little bit of a chatty Cathy. You know, I, I like listening to people and I think listening is good. When we listen, we learn. Uh, but sometimes, I guess, throughout the process of the, doing the podcast and having the conversations with people, sometimes depending on what they say, you know, ideas just come to me or questions just come to me. And that's also my way of processing. Um and sometimes asking people questions about specific things isn't always so straightforward. And I think sometimes the listener may get a little bit more context if we can actually um, make the question a bit more big and juicy and full. Uh, and so that's why I ramble. So, but thank you for listening to me ramble. That's good. And I think what we probably should do is to, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I've had three questions that have come through around the topic of monkeypox. And we know that this is something that is 
if I would even dare to use the word plaguing our community, you know, this uh, epidemic is spreading really quickly. And we know that it's having such a massive effect. Um, one person accused us of not doing anything. They accused recon of being completely silent um, and almost being responsible for the spread of monkeypox in the fetish community, which I found quite distressing that someone would assume that this is something we would do, you know, considering what we've done so far. So I sent them a whole copy of the member message that we posted out on the 9th of July. There was a direct message to members, basically with a statement about monkeypox and safety and also links where people can find help. And I'm sure many people probably didn't see it because we know that some people look at the inbox messages, they see our little logo and they just click delete or they click remove, they don't read. So a lot of times things get missed. We also posted it out, uh, you know, the last two events we did, which is around um, Recon Manchester and also around Fetish Week London. And we thought it was really relevant to get the information out so that people could actually make safer choices while they were out. And so we emailed people directly through the Eventbrite platform. So we were trying to inform people as best we could as we went along. Um, another thing that was very interesting, maybe it's also our fault for not talking about these things more openly, but we had a really interesting uh, meeting and training session with the Manchester uh, public health authority, also with the London Health Authority and a few other sexual health agencies and organizations about what we were doing to inform people on monkeypox at our events and about safe safety at our events. Uh, and I'm really glad that we've actually been able to implement a lot of other safety precautions that we maybe didn't think about before. Um, but one thing I will definitely admit to, we know how the platform functions, you know, especially if you have a very busy uh, home feed like mine with lots of friends and people posting things, often we put something up and because your home feed is so busy and active, it may have, you may have missed it, you know, or messages come long down the line. You know, the home feed also only goes back 30 days. So if you're not someone who logs in very often, uh, often some things that we do can be missed. And I will be the first person to put my hand up and say, there's definitely more that we can do to get the word out about monkeypox. And we're making every concerted effort to do that. So stay tuned and watch the space, watch your home feed, watch your inbox messaging. And if you don't subscribe to our weekly cruise email, you probably should because we often post things there. And this is also where a lot of things get missed. So we try and hit a lot of spaces where we can. Um, and hopefully we can cover more bases uh, moving forward. So thank you for prodding us on the topic of monkeypox and informing people. There's definitely more that we can do and we will definitely do so. Okay, so let's get into another question. That was quite interesting. And this is from Big Bear Dom 1966. And he asked, has Recon ever considered having a classified section for finding housemates, flatmates or roommates that are kinky and fetishy? It can be difficult to find flatmates that understand LGBT, let alone being kinky. Um, I know this is quite a concern for a lot of fetish people, um, for a lot of kinksters I know. Actually, one of my really closest friends who just happens to be someone who found another flatmate who was kinky and moved literally in the flat directly opposite mine. And I know that that for him was a major point in, you know, deciding where he would go and where he would look for a flat was that it was someone who was fetish friendly, king friendly or another kinkster. Um, I don't know whether or not we would ever create a classified section where people can do this, but it's definitely something, uh, a thought that we might be able to do. Don't quote me on this down the line, but I've seen on another platform where you're allowed to 
add something in like, you know, hosting that you're a host, whereas if people are traveling. So I know that one thing that we already have currently is a travel feature. So I don't know whether or not this might be something to take to the powers that be to say, well, in our travel feature, you know, can you possibly say that you're a host? Um, but this comes with repercussions, you know, especially when we think about things like safety. You know, if we're allowing someone to do this kind of thing, we're not quite sure exactly who or what we're exposing you to. So that's a big risk for us, you know, not knowing anything about the backgrounds of people to allow them to promote these kinds of things on the website. So I would say safety first. This is not something I think we would implement soon, but it's not something we should not think about at all. So I'll take that one up the chain. Uh, our next question. I wish I could say it was anonymous, but it's not. I know exactly who it is, but I won't call their name because I don't want anyone chasing them down. Um, and they said, I've seen you out and about at your parties, but I've never been able to grab hold of you in a dark room. Why don't you hang around so we can hook up? And this is someone who's been kind of, I guess, chasing behind me at our events for quite some time. It's flattering. And thank you very much. I really enjoyed that, especially at my age. It's nice to be chased by someone who's younger and cuter than you. So woohoo to that. Um, I think... A long time ago, I made a rule for myself that I wouldn't play at our own events. And I think this is something I've talked about, like in a previous podcast and maybe also in an article. And that's purely down to when you think about the amount of responsibility you have when you're organizing and running or managing an event, you know, thinking about security and bar and music and DJs and playroom and staff and queues and co-check. There are a lot of things that have to be managed during the course of an event. And I wouldn't want to be someone who's you know, in the corner in my own dark room, getting my knob sucked off while there is potentially a medical emergency or security. You know, I mean, how would it look if someone's bent over in front of me and I'm rogering them? Um, you know, a security taps me on the shoulder. Hey, we've got an issue on the front. That won't look good for me as a promoter. So I think it's better that I keep myself kind of like free and clear and keep my play for, you know, when the events are over. Although I would say I'm quite flattered that, you know, you want to hook up with me. It's really great. But, you know, safety responsibilities and party attendees come first. It's just kind of got to be that way. And next question from Greg in St. Pete, Florida. And he says, how might older men who have not been into kink for a while re-enter the scene and find loving long-term partners, albeit likely in open relationships? And it's a very interesting question that's, that sounds like, you know, he's hopeful, but not quite so hopeful about finding what he thinks he wants. And I think at the end of the day, we all would like to think that we you know, we can find a partner who wants to go into a relationship with us, whether it's, uh, if I use the dreaded M word, monogamous or open, although open seems to be the trend, which we now know the term is consensual non-monogamy. Um, and this may be the, the way to go. If it is, one of the things we've done is we've actually presented you with the platform where you can actually find like-minded people, but it's also you know, I guess developing that kind of that first contact of the relationship with someone to see whether or not they're actually interested in having a relationship. One of the upsides, downsides to kink and websites or networks like ours is that we know that so many people want to, they come into it with the urge to explore and experiment. And I think for many people, I guess in the early stages of their exploration may not want to be 
if I dare to use the word tied down in a relationship, because they would probably then assume that they don't have the freedom to explore or one particular partner may not be able to satisfy their fetish needs or have the patience to explore with them, especially if you've been on the scene for a longer time and you come in with a newbie who wants to do everything, you know, you're not able to do everything as one individual guy. So you're going to one have to enter this agreement of having, you know, consensual non-monogamy so that your partner actually has the room to explore and experiment as much as probably you did when you first came onto the scene. I would probably say, don't give up on it, Greg. Some years ago, I just decided that I would also just be single and I was over it and I would just happily enjoy my life and enjoy my fetish as and when I could. And then completely unplanned, you know, some lovely guy from Hamburg snatched me down and I'm now in a, you know, in a very incredibly amazing relationship, which is a fetish relationship. And it's interesting because I didn't think I wanted one, but I have one, but it's also being able to create the kind of balance that you want. So the relationship is never going to be, you know, uh, amazing right out of the gates. It's always something you're going to have to work on and especially make sure that when you do p meet that person, that you have the discussions about, you know, um, consensual non-monogamy in your relationships and how that dynamic works and how you're both, I guess, managing to satisfy your kink or your fetish needs uh, when you're together. You know, one of the other things you talked about was also, you know, polyamory. And this is quite a tricky one for many people. It's, it's not for everyone. And I think that's something that probably should be made clear. Polyamory is not for everyone. And I think it would be bad for someone to make you feel as though it's the only way to go because it works for them doesn't mean that it has to work for you. So polyamory may not be for you because with many people, emotions can run deep uh, and some people don't have as much of an emotional span to give to one person, let alone trying to spread that across two or three different dynamics. You know, I have a very good friend who's in a polyamorous relationship and he has a daddy, he has a sir, he has a husband. And I frankly don't know how they manage to keep it all going, but they do somehow. Um, and if it works for them, I mean, my hat's off to them. It's not the kind of thing for me. And Greg, it might not be the thing for you. You won't know until you've tried. And maybe that's also something you should look into. Another question that's come up, and this is from English Leathermaster. What is Recon doing to help stem the epidemic of body fascism in the gay community at the moment? And an extension of that would be, you know, this is an epidemic which leads to people with perfectly healthy bodies and perfectly normal penises feeling that they're not good enough. Thank you, English Leather Master. This is a really brilliant question. And I think it's a topic, the first part, which we've tried to tackle, I think, probably from as long as I've been a member of Recon, which is around talking about body issues um, and people who are, I don't know, happy may not be the right word to use or comfortable with their bodies. But I think we know that for a long time, not just the fetish scene, but the gay community in general, it's, I mean, the first time you meet someone or you chat to someone, you look at their profile, the first thing you're going to really look at is it's 
it's the aesthetics. You're looking at the face, the hair, the eyes, the body. It's normally the first thing that attracts people. And we know different people are attracted to different things, but it's something that we cannot escape. One of the things we try to project in our images, I guess from very early on, was also making sure that they were very body positive. So we used different models from different ethnic backgrounds. And over the years, we've used a whole range of different body types from complete bears to twinks to you know, muscular guys, um, guys that may be slightly more slim without muscles at all, completely skinny, guys effeminate. And I think body positivity is a very big issue within the kink community. And I know that it's something a lot of people think about, you know, when you want to play with someone and I don't want to make excuses for anyone, but sometimes body types can be a really big effect on what kind of play, especially when it comes to fetish that you have with someone. I think it may be less of an issue when you talk about a romantic aspect. You know, if you're in love with someone, you love them for who they are, not necessarily for how they look. And that's very different. But when it comes to play and different types of fetishes or types of play, I think body type is something that's quite relevant. You know, we know that sometimes you will see you know, I, I've always found it really quite amazing and it makes my heart flutter a little bit. You know, when I see the, you know, there's age play, the younger guy with the older guy and where sometimes the younger guy isn't always the submissive. The younger guy may be in this instance, the dom. And I think this is an incredible dynamic shift, you know, and also seeing in some instances, the skinny twink with the bear, you know, and the bear is the daddy, but the bear may also be the submissive. So in this, the role matters and what they do. I'm sure it completely shifts what their fetish play looks like compared to everybody else's, but they have somehow managed to make it work. And I think there is definitely something that we as a community need to do to keep body positivity at the forefront of our discussions and how we interact with people, even when we're out at events. You know, sometimes you can see little clicks or little clumps or groups of people chatting together. And very often this may be down to body types. I mean, let's call it what it is. That often happens. But we have to continue breaking that down. And I will say that, you know, um, we challenge ourselves at Team Recon to actually make sure that we're being body positive with everything that we do. It's definitely something that we consider very, very often. You know, we had the other pod podcast out, um, I think in season one, uh, with James Makings and a few other people. And it was a question that came up and it was talked about in such a great way. And this is a guy I think that people would probably assume he would have body positive issues and he doesn't. He's really happy and proud and free and he's living his best fetish life. And he's actually found it advantageous to be a bigger guy on the scene. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom and it shouldn't be. And we shouldn't make people feel that it's this way. And when we come to the subject of, you know, the thing that leads people with perfectly healthy bodies and perfectly normal penises feeling that they're not good enough. And when I read this, you know, I sat back and I thought, here we go again, you know, around cock size, you know, and this raises a question, you know, does size really matter? I'm sure many of you will say, yes, it absolutely fucking does. But, you know, to what degree? You know, we always say size isn't everything, but for some people, it is everything. It's the only thing that works for them. Um, but this is a hard one to balance, you know, because if size really does matter, then I guess the question is, what size are we talking about here? You know, exactly what size are you talking about? You know, they always will say, you know, size isn't everything. As long as you know what to do with your cock, it's great. And there are some guys who 
you know, uh, let's say I'm going to, I'm going to have to pick on the fisters. I'm sorry, but not sorry. Um, you know, fisters, you know, I know that after a time, you know, a cock will, a, a normal cock that's seven inches or 7.5, which I guess is the average size of a gay man's cock, maybe six will never work for you, you know? And I have to say that it'll probably never work for the top either. So it's, it's definitely something where we would say in this instance, size really does matter. But I think porn has a lot to answer for. And I think we as a community also shouldn't make people feel as though the only thing that matters about your connection with people is the cock or is the size of the cock. Because there are lots of other things that you can actually do and engage in together and still have a good relationship. You can have still a good sexual bonding uh, very often without penetration. There are lots of things that you can do. So in this instance, I would say size isn't the only thing, but we also maybe need to start thinking about other things we can do beyond just penetrative sex and just focusing solely on, oh my God, you know, I want a cock that's 10 inches, you know, and and I'll put it out there as a black man. I'm not slinging 10 inches. Gotta tell you, I'm not slinging it, but you know, I know what I'm doing. I'll just leave it at that. So another question that comes out from somebody who messaged me on recon and I won't call his name. I'll just leave it as anonymous. And he wrote, I hope this message finds you well. I was reading the recent magazine issue and read your interview. Something stood out to me that I was hoping you'd be willing to discuss further. You said in the interview that you grew up in a strong Christian home. And so that was something you had to reconcile with. I'm curious about what that was like for you. And I think we've spoken to maybe only one or two people before about kink and religion. And I think this is definitely something that needs to be addressed in a future podcast. Um, we have it written in an article where people mention it a lot, but it's not necessarily the sole focus of. And I think we shouldn't be naive to think that, you know, kinksters are all you know, complete heathens and all complete atheists. You know, I think we are uh, an incredibly eclectic community of people that probably come from different backgrounds with an eclectic range of religious beliefs. And just because you're a fetishist doesn't mean that you, you know, you're a demonic or that you're a Satanist or that your relationship you have with with your God, with your believer, with your higher power should be any different, you know. I think this is something that's very individual for a lot of people. And you should try to figure out what your relationship with your higher authority, with your higher power, with your God, what that is for you and how you communicate with him and whether or not, you know, you put kink at the forefront of your life. If you're going to be at a point of where your kink stands for everything, I think you will probably struggle with this relationship a bit. But it's also finding the balance with this as we will do with everything else. You know, because you are a kingster doesn't mean you should lose your faith and it doesn't weaken your faith. Your faith is something that's completely separate, but it's finding the balance to make sure like at the end of your play or your session, you're not on your knees making the sign of the cross and asking God for forgiveness, you know, for just having smashed some fister's bottom in. You know, this is definitely the wrong way to go about it. I think take a little bit of time by yourself, go for a walk, pray on it, you know. And I wrote to this guy that I actually have very deep discussions uh, and I sometimes even argue. And I refuse to believe that in any way, shape or form, 
I'm going to be judged solely on my kink play. You know, at the end of the day, if we believe in this higher power, we have to believe that there's much more to them than just judging us for the kind of sex we have. You know, as long as it's sane and consensual and safe, and I think that's fine. But really think about how you balance your relationship and balance your discussions. And I would probably say, begin to think about being a bit easier on yourself. And I think you might find that you may actually enjoy your your kink life or your fetish experiences even more than you may have been doing previously. So yeah, take time to reassess your relationship. You know, think of him like, you know, your, your best mate, your best pal, how you chat to your best friend. Try to think about making the discussions the same, you know. Be on a level playing field. There's no reason that you can't be, you know. That was my approach to it. Okay, I've rambled. I need a glass of water. My throat's getting dry. That was really passionate for me. So let me take a breather for two minutes and we'll be right back. Need something tight and shiny for a special event? Want ideas for your next session? At Regulation, we're stocking thousands of products, including leather, rubber, toys, electro restraints, and playroom furniture. Now shipping worldwide, or get free UK shipping when you spend over £25. Visit our London store or shop online at regulation.co.uk. Regulation. Kink. Delivered. Welcome back. The throat has been properly watered and I can ramble on a little bit more. Question from Twisted Jock. The London scene seems to be in a period flux with various serious fetish venues closing their doors and not being replaced. Mainstream clubs, venues are hosting social watered down events. Um, the queer straight fetish scene seems to be going from strength to strength. Where do you see the gay fetish scene going forward and what can be done to help it? Do you think the old style leather cruise bars like Backstreet is a thing of the past? And this question actually came in to me this morning, and I think it couldn't be more timely. Um, you know, I think it's really sad that so many of our big cities are losing venues, and it's primarily down to gentrification. Um, but the other thing is also down to the change in how people are now enjoying and experiencing their kink. You know, people tend to go out and socialize much more than necessarily going out completely for a hookup. You know, they'll go out and socialize and have a few drinks and then they'll go home. They'll get on an app like ours or the Yellow Pages or something else and they'll try to get a hookup. And this definitely has a negative effect on what's happening with venues and how they're able to run. And I think when the backstreet closed, so many people said, oh my God, it's so sad it's closing. Well, it's sad and it's closed probably because you didn't go. So when we have these spaces, I think we've for far too long taken it for granted that they would just always be there. And if we don't go, somebody else will go. Um, but that does not keep a venue running. Somebody else will go, will not keep it going, will not make it popular and will not pay the bills for the venue to keep doing what they need to do. So a few months ago, I got invited to 
join a network of promoters called the Queer Promoters Forum. And one thing that came out of the first meeting was about getting people to continue to support their queer spaces. I think it's one of the things we try to do. You know, we always say like with our app, it's the perfect opportunity for you to meet and chat to the people. But at the same time, we create the events and other things where you can actually take the intangible from the online chat out into real life. And, you know, you then have a touch point experience with someone else. And this is maybe only one way we can support, you know, venues and clubs. But if we had more people coming up and organizing, I think that would be really great. We know it's not easy to do, um, but it's something to consider, you know, sometimes instead of just people love a good moan. Good God, you guys love a good bitch. And instead of moaning all the time, sometimes you have to think about how you're going to support your, and it's not even just traveling somewhere else for an event. It's your own local event in your own city. You know, your place closes. We know that people will hop on a plane in five minutes and they'll jet off to Madrid or Paris or Berlin or somewhere else. And the back street closes and they go, oh my God, our venue's closed. Well, bitch, it closed because you didn't go. So why did you think it would stay open? If people aren't patronizing, if people aren't going, you know, there's only so much, you know, clubs and spaces can do to get people in the door. And the rest of it is really up to us. So if we want the scene to thrive, as I said at the beginning, not just survive, if we want it to thrive, we have to actually support the scene. If we don't support it, it won't happen. It's going to die off. And then we will definitely see, and I won't say it's a bad thing, the fact that, you know, mainstream clubs and queer slash fetish nights are starting to become ever so much more popular. And that's because kinksters, you're not doing it. You're, you're not helping yourselves. Or maybe it could be that you're looking for something else or some other kind of experience when you're out. And I will definitely admit to that because we know how much from our own events and from feedback we get from other people, how much more the social aspect of events is becoming so much more popular. So once again, this is down to people deciding that they rather make their play in the safety of their own homes or the homes of their friends. And so when they're going out, being able to socialize and chat and have a dance and have a drink and meet up with other people in this kind of atmosphere has become a lot more popular. And of course, it's not the same thing that would have been happening in the old traditional venues like Backstreet. So when we think about what venues themselves are doing, venues have to also be prepared to change with the growing trends of the community. So if the community changes and the venues don't change, the venues are going to lose out. So venues, it's not all on the kinks. You have your work to do as well. You know, as promoters and organizers, it's one of the things we also try to do is to keep an eye on what's current, what's trending, what are people doing, where they're going. And we know that if we don't change with them, our events are going to die and people won't pitch up. And that's something we don't ever want to see happen, you know, and by doing just that, just this morning, as this question came in, I had actually just come out of a meeting with another venue about doing a collaboration on a kind of a queer fetish, straight fetish, uh, focused on social and music event. I think it's a fantastic opportunity to introduce, you know, Kingsters to a new space, a new type of music, a new crowd of people, um, a new way of experiencing your fetish. So we also shouldn't be afraid to explore something new. Yes, there is a place for the traditional cruising bars like Backstreet, but there is also a place for the change and shift of people who are doing these kinds of 
queer events. And I wouldn't necessarily say that they're all completely watered down because just because you can't get your knob out doesn't mean it's watered down. There are places you can do that. There are places you can get your cocks out. There are places you can fist someone. There are other places you can, you know, get in a sling and park your ass there all night long. But you have to decide also as a kingster what type of thing you want to experience. What do you want your your fetish experience to be like? Fortunately for you, there are people like us and a lot of other promoters who are providing lots of different types of fetish events, um, whether they're play parties or social or gear events um, that you can explore, you know, that you can experience and live your fetish. So you have to really think about what you want to do. But at the end, it still comes down to people support your fetish venues. We're losing them really fast. And if we don't go, we will continue to lose them. Whether it's queer, whether it's a play party, whether it's a straight fetish night, why not pop in and see how the other half live? You know, do it. Support your venues and support other promoters. Don't forget, support us too. Another question that has come from someone else. Uh, oh, God, it's one we've been, I can't say that we've been plagued with, but it's one that people have been hammering on with us for quite a while now. And we know that we can't do everything to make everyone happy all the time, but there are sometimes some small things we can do. And the question was, are you guys ever in very big letters going to add ABDL as an interest? Um, and I have to say, this has been a hot in-house topic for quite some time now. If you were, you know, in tune with anything we did over Fetish Week London, we had AB Universe as one of our sponsors for Fetish Week. And also they sponsored the closing party of Fetish Week. So I think it's all been a case of maybe a gradual introduction of like bringing it in. We also had them uh, do a presentation at the Masterclass event of Fetish Week London about age play. I'm happy to say that the discussion about whether or not we would have it as an interest has turned out to be a very positive one. Um, and I'm happy to say that it is coming. I'm not going to give you a date because I don't want someone to say, you told me October 1st and it didn't happen. So I'm not giving you a date, but I will tell you it is coming and it's coming before the end of this year. So watch the space. ABDL will be added as an interest on recons. Another question from someone else. Where is the weirdest place you've ever had sex? I mean, it's so generic. I would have loved for people to come up with something that was a bit more meaty and juicy. But then again, this could be kind of juicy because it really made me think about where was the weirdest place I'd ever have sex. And it was actually in a book cabinet in an office I worked in with the manager of that office who eventually we started dating. But it was also during very busy work hours when I think people probably had no idea we were in that book cabinet, but it was completely full on. Anyone could have opened it at any time. And thank fuck nobody did open the cabinet because we probably would have both been sacked. But it was really weird and it was weirdly intense and very sexual. You know, there was a threat of like, oh, my God, what the fuck do we do if someone opens the cabinet door and there are the two of us there just getting it on, you know, in this um stationary cabinet. Um, but it was really good. And I would probably have to say that is probably the weirdest place I've ever had sex. I mean, I've had sex on a plane, on a train. I don't call that weird. Um, I've had sex on the beach. I've had sex in the bushes. Yes, I've had sex in the bushes more than once. Um, I've had sex in the cemetery, but these are general places where gay guys go to cruise. So it's not really weird. Not many people go cruising in a stationary cupboard. So for me, that's probably the weirdest place I think I've had sex. 
And X, if you're listening to this podcast, you know exactly who you are and you know exactly <laughs> the stationary cabinet I'm talking about. I won't say any more on that. One question that came in from Benjamin, what advice do you wish you could go back and give yourself before you started exploring the kink scene for the first time? What would be different to you if you were just entering the scene now? And I'm honestly not so sure that I would do it very differently. I think my first introduction to the king scene, I had a very good friend, my best friend at the time, who always talked about his love of leather and being into fisting. And I think I talked about this maybe on a previous podcast and also in an article before about the first day I moved to London in March 2000. He took me out to my first fetish event. And this is probably even before I really decided I would be, but this was just for my exposure. And I remember we went to, there was a little rubber shop in the arches under the railway near London Bridge. The name of it escapes me now, but you had to like pull back the grate to get in. It was really seedy and underground and dark. Um, and that's where I bought my first rubber top. We went to what was the then expectations and I bought some leather trousers. And that's just because what I wanted to wear, I had no idea that you should never match leather and rubber. So that was probably the first, you know, newbie mistake I made when I first came onto the scene. But when we went to the first event, what I did, because I didn't know anything. And I thought, you know, even though I've jumped from the frying pan into the fire before, I just thought, let me treat this one with a little bit extra care. And I took the time to just stand back and watch and see what people were doing and how they played and see what was happening because it wasn't my space. It wasn't my world. I didn't feel like it was mine. And I didn't feel like I had the right to just, you know, put on the blindfold and just jump right in. And I wouldn't advise anyone to do that. I would definitely say treat it with caution because what you may not realize is there are you know, there is protocol, there are rules, there are regulations, there are things you can do, and there are things you definitely should not do. And one thing that didn't happen back then, which you may find in spaces now, is that playrooms and darkrooms have got, um, you know, monitors and people who are there to look after the welfare of people who may be engaged in a, in a scenario. You as a newbie may not be aware that you're not allowed to go and just jump into somebody else's scenario without understanding what the protocol is that you should stand and watch or that you should ask. And sometimes you may not even be aware in certain scenes also where you're not allowed to talk to the sub or the slave without talking to the dom or the master first. You know, you can't address them this way. In some instances, you can't address them at all. So it's understanding the protocol of things like uh, collars and hankies or chains or, you know, whether someone is caged or locked or not. There are lots of things which you don't know. So I would probably say, if you don't know anyone else, stand back, observe first and see what you think you find interesting and just figure out how you maneuver yourself into that space or whether or not you go back to the club a second time and you do that. If you have other friends who are honest enough to tell you that they're also kinky, it's really something that we've discovered quite a lot that, you know, friends don't tell other friends that they're into kink or fetish. And there's an idea for another podcast for season three coming out, kink, you know, my kink coming out. Um, because sometimes people, do, they, they just don't share. It's, it's something that has become for many people a little bit secretive and private. Okay. Now we see on social media, it's a little more out there. It's very different, but it's also good, you know, to, if you're out of the space for the first time to have some allies, you know, have your friends or your mates with you, your, you know, they're like your, your wingman, have your wing team. But it's also, I think you shouldn't be afraid to 
ask your friends or ask Kingsters questions. You know, very often, even coming into the recon platform, people will email us at you know, support or events at recon.com or even at social at recon.com. And they'll ask questions about a particular kind of fetish or something they're interested in, or we can, can we direct them and tell them what kind of books they should read or other websites they should go to. And I would probably say one of the brilliant things about the internet now is that you're able to expose yourself to so much more before you go out, but you kind of also have to understand the difference between the reality and the fantasy of what is kink and what kinds of play people are being engaged in. And this is also something where you need to tread very carefully. When we talk about things like bondage or flogging or sounding, there are so many things, which is not for everyone because they may be related to pain and your kink may not be about pain. Your kink may be about tickling, maybe about something completely different. So it's really trying to have the initial understanding of what you think you're interested in or what you think you want to explore and investigate what you think might be the safest way of exploring. So for me, the safest way of beginning to explore was to just stand back and watch. I wanted to understand, to get a good lay of the land. I wanted to suss it all out and understand exactly where I would go, left or right. And this probably comes, you know, my mind works from being a professional dancer, singer, choreographer, a producer for so many years. My mind looks at everything like a stage. And I think about where I am on the stage, how I fit on the stage, where I would be best placed, where I feel the most comfortable. And sometimes it takes a little while to sit back and actually ask yourself this question and suss it out. And don't be afraid to do that. So then again, even if it's at your first event, you're not pressured. There's no pressure. There's no rule that says you have to go immediately to the dark room and jump in the piss area or lay in a sling or do something else. There's no rule. Take your time to walk into the space. Understand what it is when you're there. If you feel that you're anxious or excited, come out of the space. Take a deep breath. You know, find someone who's working at the event and say, hey, I just need a breather for two minutes. That was really overwhelming. And you'll be surprised at how people are there to support you and help you, um, you know, doing, you know, experiencing your first fetish. We want everyone to come in and have a good experience. So don't be afraid to stand back, take a deep breath and go one step at a time. And there was one more question that came through and I don't know who sent this to me, but I'm sure if I ever find out, I'll probably smack them around. They may enjoy that actually. And that question was, when are you guys bringing back chat? Bitches, chat is dead. She is dead. She is dead and gone and buried and chat is not coming back. And I can hear some of you now going, what is chat? Once upon a time, the world was dark. There was only darkness. There was no light, but we had chat. And we had a chat feature on the platform, which was used for quite a while, but by a very small group of people, not as much people used it as we thought would. And so we made the decision after a few years to sunset chat and all hell broke loose. And I will probably get shot in the head for saying never say never, that it will never come back in some form, but it's definitely not now. But there is no rule that says it won't come back in five years time or something else, you know, as we start to rebuild and redevelop and put out new features on the app or the website, who knows something around this or some kind of better, uh, something else that's even better than chat may come up. So I say never say never, but as of now, as it was before chat, she's dead. She's not coming back. Let it go. And that was our final question on the Ask the Host. Um, I want to say again, thank you to all the people who took the opportunity to write questions in. And once again, also thank you to everyone who has been a guest on season one and season two of the podcast. Everyone who tuned in to listen to us. That's been really amazing. And 
after this airs, we're going to take a break for the month of October and we will be back in November with the first podcast of season three. So once again, thank you. Continue to do your bit to support community, support your fetish venues, people. Don't forget. And whatever you do, have fun, be safe, keep it sane, keep it consensual. See you soon. Thank <laughs> you.